On this Thursday edition of Riding a 3x3, Patrick Fetch and I dive into NFL Week 7, College Football Big Ten back in action, and then we of course lead the show with the Tampa Bay Rays knotting things up in the World Series, an off day on Wednesday, series picking back up on Thursday and continuing into the weekend, shaping up to be a very good one, closing out a weird and wild Major League Baseball season. You can catch us on Spotify, Google, Apple, wherever you get your podcasts. Throw us a review, subscribe, and rate the show. Continue supporting the Ride in the 3x3 movement. Let's get into lane number one. Cruising in the lane number one on this Thursday edition of Ride in the 3x3. Russ Heltzman, your host, joined by my co-host Patrick Fetch. Across the line, so much to get to. Let's roll right into it, my man. World Series leading off the show. Biggest thing happening in the world of sports right now. We got a great one shaping up out in Arlington, Texas. Tampa Bay evens the series at one game apiece, 6-4 to four for the Rays. Brandon Lau plays hero ball, two home runs. He breaks out of a slump. I believe it was 6-56 of 56 heading into this game where uh, he found the right, right, uh, right chemistry at the plate. Got the two dingers, and the Rays are right back in this thing. We're shaping up to be uh, maybe a classic fall classic, as they like to call it, Mr. Fetch. Oh, yeah. And the Dodgers cannot escape classic series. We saw it against the Red Sox. We saw it against the Astros. The Dodgers just love to play classics. And it's been great. It is a great, I mean, two of the smartest organizations in all of baseball, probably the two smartest organizations in the way they develop players, the way they scout players, and then the way that they attack each game. Uh, so different, the strategy involved. I do hate the Dodgers when they have to go into that bullpen mode like they went into game two. Good on their race for taking advantage of it. That was a huge, huge win for them. Going into game three, Charlie Morton and Walker Bueller. That's going to be an absolutely epic, fantastic pitching matchup. I can't wait. It's a five-game series now, Russ. Who does that favor more for you? I have to think it definitely favors the Ray. With the pitching depth, you'd think so, right, Pat? You're more in tune with these staffs than I am, and especially with this matchup coming up on Friday. Morton or Bueller, who do you think has the edge right there? Because like most things in baseball, but this series especially, the pitching is going to play a massive factor. I love Walker Bueller. He has the nastiest stuff in all of baseball. He's so calm, so composed. I'm not going to bet against Walker Bueller, but Charlie Morton, I mean, he's got the veteran savvy. He's got the attitude that's right as well. But if Walker and he Bueller was with can, the Astros, right? When, in yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah. If, if Walker can keep the ball in the zone, he can keep and land that breaking ball. I mean, that's with these pitchers and how good they are anymore. Really, the key to the game is how they locate their breaking balls. If they can keep, uh, keep the location right and keep them in the zone, both these pitchers are going to be dynamic. It's been a very, very fun series so far. I'm very interested to see where it goes. And if the rate, the Rays just got to stay pesky. It's what it is. We have, you know, David versus Goliath in a way. You've got the sluggers on the Dodgers. You've got the payroll on the Dodgers. The Rays got to stay pesky. And I'll tell you what, they have all the keys, all the players to do that. And then you look at the fact that Randy Rosarena, the rookie phenom, hasn't really broken out so far in this series. Went one for three on the night against uh, Tampa, against the Dodgers yesterday. And I believe that's his only hit in the, but Lau, he's kind of the fulcrum for this entire lineup. The hitting there in the cleanup spot was their best player uh, offensively in the regular season, but he's been ice cold in the playoffs. They've still gotten to this point. Despite that, you'd think if he can find some of that magic and continue 
these powerful ways he's shown over the last nine innings, then that's going to give Tampa Bay the slight edge over the final five, what is shaping up to be a great, great series and a playoffs, Pat, that honestly has been a lot of fun. And there's talks within Major League Baseball higher-up circles. They might keep some portions or the entire portion of the card round. I thought it might water down things in the regular season. But honestly, if if they're going to keep it as 162 games anyways, I'd love to see some of these other teams have the ability to fight near the end as opposed to being completely out of it for the final month and not have anything really to play for. You're planning vacation. So I, I, I was skeptical a bit of the playoff scenario they built up heading into the 2020 season, but I think there are a lot of key factors they can keep going forward. What do you think? Yeah, I, lo- I think it's a no-brainer. The, the expanded playoffs in baseball, it's something baseball fans have been craving for. It's just an obvious thing to do. We talked about it before. The three-game series is a little, you know, it ends before it starts for some, and especially if you're a fan of that series, your team loses in two games, and especially if your team has a great record. We are lucky this year. Uh, I think probably Cubs fans are a little irritated that they had to face the Marlins and get knocked out the team like that when the Cubs clearly were the superior. The expanded playoffs, no-brainer, but there's some tweaks that can certainly be done. I will never argue with more baseball, so however you want to give me more High pressure, high stress, you know, high action baseball. I'm all here for it. And baseball is just starving for more fans, starving for a younger fan base and all the excitement the rest of the the leagues are doing. This is a great first step. Expanding the playoffs, get more high leverage, more fun baseball in the limelight in prime time. That's what they need. It's kind of odd, too, because people thought, all right, if you add these extra rounds it's going to hurt the more dominant consistent teams in the playoffs or the the higher seeds throughout the regular season but we're here in the world series and you got the number one seed the number one team from the american league going up against the number one overall team in the entire major league baseball circuit so that did not actually play out to uh to the the prognostications of some of the experts which uh go figure that that never happens pat never ever sent to happen five games left like you mentioned when we come back here on Tuesday afternoon, what are you thinking? Are we going to be talking about a potential funeral for the rest of the Tampa Bay Rays? They're facing something like a 3-1 deficit, or is this going to be a 2-2 series and we maybe get a best of three, or Tampa Bay completely flips it, wins three in a row? What are you thinking, Pat? What's the kind of, pro- what's the kind of forecast you have uh, over the weekend in the series? I think it's going to be a classic. These two are going to battle. They're going to go back and forth. But with the way Kershaw's pitching, mm-hmm. Kershaw was dynamite in game one. If he can put another start like that together, they got Walker Bueller, they got the starters, the Dodgers do, to really plug innings and get deep. I like the Dodgers for the series. How it's going to turn out, I have no idea. This is The Rays are weird. They can do anything. They make you play. I'll take the Dodgers in six just because I think Walker Bueller and Kershaw get it done and are dynamite. Dodgers and six. All right. And they will actually have played six games or no, have played five games when we, uh, when we reconvene on, uh, on Tuesday afternoon. So we will see who gets it done. I, I I'm with you, Pat. I, I don't know. No, no, I'm not going to go against my race pick at the beginning of the series. I think Charlie Morton has the veteran stuff. He pulls a little bit of an upset. They take the two, one lead and we're going to be, uh, 
We're gonna be we're gonna be looking at a three-two lead for the Dodgers heading into our next show, but the Rays get it done in seven. Absolute classic. I'm sticking to my guns on that one. Cruising in the lane number two, college football, another benchmark weekend in college football. We've had the SEC come back. We've had every single Power Five conference in motion except for the Pac-12 and the Big Ten, of which the uh, the former is going to be suiting up this weekend, taking on their conference slate in the Big Ten, uh, Big Ten world. Ohio State battling Nebraska, two of the most storied powerhouses, power not necessarily powerhouse for Nebraska, but two of the most storied programs in all of college football. I don't know, Pat. It's uh, it's exciting to see the Big Ten come back, but we talked about this last week of kind of knowing what's going to happen. I don't see many scenarios where Ohio State doesn't run the table in this schedule and end up lifting the crown at the end of the season and the Big Ten title game, punching their ticket to the uh, to the college football playoff. Maybe Penn State gives them a run for their money. Maybe Wisconsin, Minnesota, Michigan. Those are who uh, maybe I'd have as wild card dark horses right now but their chances for the field in general don't seem very bright. You're right. And Ryan Day is sort of a savage up there at Ohio State. The way that he's just responded to every part of the last few years and getting this job, Ohio State's going to come out angry, and they're going to come out ready to play and beat some Big Ten guys down because they want to prove that they're one of the best teams. It's a difficult year to prove where you belong and how you belong. But Ryan Day's attitude and his swagger uh, it's got to be intimidating for the rest of that league. And I'm sure I'm sure they're going to put a licking on Nebraska this weekend, and I bet there's a few other teams down the schedule they are going to do the same too. I'd have to agree with you. I don't see any way Ohio State doesn't just run the Big Ten this year. Heading into the spring, I thought possibly Penn State could give them, give them a run for their money. Another year with Sean Clifford getting experience. You got Pat Fryermuth, the go-to tight end. They're in Happy Valley, but I just don't know if they have enough weapons. And then the the opt-out of Micah Parsons, who is arguably the number one defensive NFL prospect in the entire country heading into the season, really hurts their prospects on that side of the ball. Michigan working in another new quarterback, and we know what kind of issues they've had at that, that position. It seems like the same old story for them. Minnesota felt like the peak of the P.J. Fleck culmination of talent era was last year. And now they're kind of recycling in a new group of players that has to get get their feet underneath them with Tanner Morgan as the senior quarterback. So they're not necessarily on as even a footing as they were when they got upset and couldn't finish the deal in 2019 against their hated rival, Wisconsin. And the Badgers, same old story. They're going to have the system. They're going to have the defense. They're going to have the smash mouth power, but they don't have the experience that they've always leaned on to keep these big games close with Ohio State, and I still don't think they have the athletic fortitude to be able to actually put those big, big close games over the top in their favor. So it feels like a Big Ten, a Big Ten or bust title chances for the Ohio State Buckeyes. Who, like you mentioned, Pat, that's a good point with Ohio State, where they're going to play a few less games than the other contenders for the college football playoffs. So. They're going to need all the style points they can rack up, and that's going to mean a lot of drubbings of the Nebraskas, of the uh, of the Rutgers, and the bottom feeders in the rest of this conference. You're exactly right, and uh, I'm excited to see it. Justin Fields also wants to put his name up there with Trevor Lawrence. We've mm-hmm. already, we, everybody's talking about the Jets tanking. It's tank for Trevor. 
Justin Fields has a few things to say, and there's a lot of people really high on him. So I'm sure he wants to go out there, put his numbers up, rise his draft stock a little bit as well. Fields, 3,200 yards last year through the air, 51 combined touchdowns, passing and rushing, and finished third place in the Heisman voting in 2019. So he wants to turn that bronze medal into a gold. But like I mentioned with the last point that you brought up, Pat, Clemson coming off a 73-point performance this past weekend, five touchdowns for Trevor Lawrence. He's already built up a considerable head start in the Heisman Trophy race. So Big Ten football and Ohio State in particular back against the wall, no margin for error in a sport that has very little of it to offer in the first place during a normal season. So Ohio State coming off a 13-1 and record, undefeated Big Ten schedule in Big Ten run in 2019 looking to finish the deal and get back into the playoff and actually close it out with a national championship this year for the second time in the iteration of that format. With the Big Ten coming back this weekend, Pat, decided to be a little fun to give our, uh, give our Big Ten best bets for the return of the conference. I'll give the floor to you for the uh, best bet, and then I'll, I'll take it first on the sucker bet. What do you got for me? Well, it's impossible. We haven't seen any of these teams on the field yet. College football has absolutely murdered me. I probably haven't been right in a college football game in two and a half years coming on this weekend. So my confidence level is not high. And I looked at this game, and it has sucker bet written all over it. It has sucker bet written all over it. Penn State, Indiana. In Bloomington, at Indiana, Penn State right now is getting six and a half points, anywhere between six and seven. They got a young, young team, losing a lot of big names from last year. They're down their star running back this year. Who knows what Penn State has, but I'm taking it. I love Franklin. If any team is going to compete with Ohio State, a lot of people have Penn State on their radar. Penn State's been there. They've been a, a, uh, a juggernaut in the Big Ten. So I'm going to ride with the Nittany Lions, even though this has sucker bet written all over it. If you're telling me Penn State just has to go and beat Indiana by a touchdown, well, they got to do that. If they're any bit serious, if they're any bit the number eight team in the country, if they're any bit going to challenge Ohio State, Penn State has to come out on top this week and go out, get on top big. So I'm taking Penn State to cover at IU. You think they want to make a quick statement early on and get off to a nice start because they turn around seven days later and battle those aforementioned Buckeyes in what is shaping up to be the biggest early season matchup in the Big Ten slate this season. My uh, my bet for the return of the Big Ten this weekend, I'm going with Rutgers. Hold your nose, people. Hold your nose. It's stinky. <laughs> Plus 13 and a half against the newly minted head coach Mel Tucker and his Michigan State Spartans on the road in East Lansing. I know, I get it. Rutgers, doormat, laughing stock of the entire conference. But Greg Schiano back. They have a uh, new quarterback and wide receiver transfer this year. So that's going to be very interesting to see what kind of impact that has. And that's the big reason why I'm taking this uh, taking this Rutgers team to, to get the job done. You got Sean Gleason calling plays now from Oklahoma State. Noah Vigdral transfer from Nebraska coming in. So I think they're going to be a little bit more polished on that side of the ball, put up enough points. And we know that the Michigan State team is never going to play a high enough scoring game to blow out by 25, 30 points, any team in conference. So give me the Rutgers Scarlet Knights plus 13 and a half over under 45. So it's going to be lower scoring with the, uh, with the Vonta defense of the Michigan State Spartans. 
Plus, a little betting nugget here from uh, from ESPN's uh, Chris Felica, the Bear. Good old good old Bear betting nugget right here. Michigan State, as a favorite since the start of 2018, is 6-11 as a favorite, and they've lost five of those games outright as a favorite, Pat. So, mm. and even worse, past 11 games, dives even deeper here, double-digit favorite Michigan State is 2-9 and nine against the spread, lost three times outright. This one is uh, not historically shaping up to be favorable for the Spartans. I'll tell you what, Russ, you dug deep for that one, and like that's that. a very, very interesting pick. I might have to keep my eyes on that one. There you go. You got to love. Maybe, maybe dabble in it, Pat. Maybe dabble in it for the uh, for the people in the uh, in the legal areas if it gets over <laughs> gets over fourteen points, which that's a key number. I would I would doubt it gets over fourteen, but you never know. You never know. All right, closing out lane number two. Always fun with college football. We'll see what happens this weekend with the return of the Big Ten. Going to monitor all that. And then all we got left is what? We got Mountain West, the MAC, and Pac-12 coming back in two weeks, I think. First weekend of November. So that'll be very, very fun to keep an eye on. Something that's been very fun this morning has been on the trade talk and trade chatter even over the past 24 to 48 hours opening up our third lane in the National Football League. Yannick Ngakwe headlining all of that buzz on the move once again. He was traded at the end of August from Jacksonville to Minnesota, the highly respected young 25-year-old defensive end who is already continue, continuing to rack up his illustrious young career. Five sacks so far this season in six games. He's top 10 at the position in that number, as well as putting up, let's see here, what does he have? Um Two forced fumbles and seven quarterback hits as well, including five tackles for loss. So he has put up the stats so far, not necessarily getting a ton of pressures, but Yannick Ngakwe turning that production into a trip, into a better organization, better situation, and a hometown situation. The Maryland kid heading back to his roots. Baltimore Ravens trade a third-round pick in 2021's NFL draft and a conditional fifth-round pick in the 2022 NFL draft to the Minnesota Vikings. They get back a highly touted one-on-one defensive end edge rusher that they can now pair with Matthew Judon and Calais Campbell on that defensive line. And Pat, boy, oh boy, this number one ranked scoring defense for the Baltimore Ravens only giving up about 17 points per game. I don't know how much lower they can go, but it's shaping up to become even more scary after this addition. They can't keep getting away with this, Russ. The Ravens. <laughs> they just can't keep getting away with it. They just add Raven-like players at every spot, at every moment. Their GM has been really impressive. They have, I mean, we just talked about it. The Ravens have looked iffy at times. They haven't looked as spectacular as they did last year, even though they're continuing to win games, continue to impress on the numbers. But wow, adding Calais Campbell and Yannick Ngakwe to this defense this year, I mean, it's just not fair. Not fair. The attitude fits perfectly. I think the chemistry is going to fit well. And to do it for just a third and a fifth. I mean, we've been seeing GMs around the league just like handing out draft picks like it's candy at Halloween with just no regard for the future of their team. And for some reason, people are just handing players to the Ravens for nothing. It doesn't make any sense to me how they keep getting away with this. I'm, I'm... I'm upset. I'm upset at the move. I'm worried about the move. And, <laughs> man, the Ravens are going to be scary. They're going to be a problem. They are a problem. 
Well, that's the thing, Pat. You cheer for a team that has legitimate title hopes right now. They are actually leading the division that the Ravens are trying to win, trying to get a leg up in with this move. Your Pittsburgh Steelers undefeated, taking on another undefeated 5-0 and team this weekend against the Tennessee Titans. We'll get to that preview in just a second before we give out our sucker bets and close out the show. But listen to this. This is what the Ravens have given up to obtain the services of Marcus Peters, a top 10, arguably top seven, top five cornerback, Yannick Ngakwe, a top 15 edge rusher, and Calais Campbell, who's arguably a top five player at the uh, hybrid interior uh, defensive lineman edge rusher position. They gave up a third rounder, a fifth rounder, another fifth, a conditional fifth, and Kenny Young. Forgive me if you don't know who that is. He's just the kind of throwaway linebacker, young guy that they sent to the LA Rams last year for uh, Marcus Peters. So Eric DaCosta playing chess while all these other GMs are playing checkers, man. That's that's kind of reaping what they sowed out there in Minnesota. They went for it, misjudged the talent, misjudged the, not necessarily the talent, but the spot on the timeline that the roster was in. And that's left them now at what, one in five and really searching deep and deep and hard and, and interiorly into their soul for some long, long answers. But like, like, like most smart teams, Pat, they're not holding on to these key pieces that aren't going to help them win down the line. They're cutting bait quickly and at least obtaining assets for uh, past mistakes. And there you go. That's all you can ask for. If you're, if you're a fan of the Vikings, at least they're making clear, confident decisions. It would seem, but yeah, I mean, not a, not a good playoff pick for the two of us. I believe we both took the Vikings to go go to the playoffs. That's not looking great. Um, but yeah, yeah. And on and on it goes in Baltimore. And on and on it goes. AFC looking a lot better for me than my NFC picks, Pat. Had the, had the Cowboys, you know, as my number one seed at 12-4. and four. <clears throat> They already have four losses through six games. So, uh, And then the Vikings. One and five had them going ten and six as my fourth seed and the uh, divisional champion still of the AFC North. And there is still hope, Pat. Hope, hope springs eternal. Always, hope's never lost. Ever doesn't matter if the season's over. There's still hope. Always hope. Got to be. Hope. <laughs> All right, moving along, and in, in, in the two teams springing, oozing hope right now, Pat. Five and zero oh, Pittsburgh Steelers taking on the five and zero oh, Tennessee Titans. Ben Roethlisberger, Ryan Tannehill, two guys that this time last year were at a crossroads. Big Ben facing serious uncertainty around the rest of his career with with the elbow injury. Ryan Tannehill heading into uh, the first real chance he's had in quite some time, over 18 months, two years, to captain a football team and lead them to uh, to relevancy in a uh, in a, a promising situation. Uh, taking over for Marcus Mariota for in the Tennessee Titans. What have they done since then, Pat? Well, they put their teams in prime position to take control of not only their respective divisions, but the entire American Football Conference. And this is just the sixth matchup in the Super Bowl era between unbeaten teams with a 5-0 and or better record. Of the previous five, Pat, get this. Every single winner made the Super Bowl. So hmm. massive matchup. We got in our hands this weekend, and it's also a makeup matchup playing into the whole COVID theme of the season from the first postponed game back a couple weeks ago. I love that stat you just brought up. The winner of this game is going to the Super Bowl is what I heard, and it's going to be a good one. I mean, the Titans are so you hot. You the previous five matchups? Yes, they do, actually. All right. 2015 Packers 6-0 and at the Broncos. 
Peyton Manning and company got the job done. They, uh, the defense brought his dead body across the finish line for that one. And then the uh, 2007 Pats took out Peyton Manning and the Colts. I remember that one actually vividly watching that as a 10-year-old with those old awesome rivalry matchups. Best scoring, arguably the best regular season team of all time, the undefeated Patriots took out the Colts in that one. 2007 also, same season, we had the 5-0 Pats take out the 5-0 Cowboys, Tony Romo and company. 2004, Jets and Patriots. Patriots won that one, went to the Super Bowl. And then the Rams at the Vikings all the way back in 1973. So kind of crazy that three of the five previous matchups, Bill Belichick and Tom Brady. Of course it does. When we talk about greatness in football, of course the Patriots have to be brought up. But wow. Love the sound of it, and it's going to be a great game. I talked about last week how much I love Mike Vrabel. Um, I love Mike Tomlin as well. If we want to talk about coaches that I absolutely adore and admire, this is going to be a, an attitude game. Uh, it means a lot to both teams. I think both teams, you know, Steelers want to come, be back to that top dog. Ben's back. They had their down years a couple years. They want to reassert their dominance among the league. They want everybody to know where they stand. Um, that being said, Mike Vrabel is a... No pushover. He is a badass dude, and he definitely wants his team to come in here and set the tone against the Steelers team that's going to come with the colors. They're going to come with the attitude. Everything about the Steelers, the Titans have to answer the bell. They're getting this game at home, which is huge for them. Mm. I don't know how they're going to attack the Steelers' defense. I really have no idea. I don't know if they're going to try to trust King Henry in that running game, try to you know best against best, see how their run game can answer the bell against the Steelers' defense. Or I don't know if they're going to try to attack this secondary. Um, the wide receivers aren't fantastic for the Titans. I don't know if Corey Davis is going to be back or not. But A.J. Brown could have a huge game. It's going to be a lot of attention on him if I'm the Steelers. I'd be doubling him all across the field. I really do not know how this game's going to shape out. But the key to this game, as the key to most Steelers game, I think, is going to be how that Steelers defense handles the opposing offense. And it's going to be a great matchup this week. Best on best. Talk about that defense, Pat. Unrelenting pressure they bring. One of the best blitzing defenses up there with the Ravens in the entire NFL. They bring pressure at a higher rate than any other defense in the National Football League. And they're they're going up against a it's a it's a it's a something's got to give weekend, like so many weekends are in the National Football League. Tannehill this season, thirteen touchdowns. That's fifth most in the National Football League. Twelve of them have come in the red zone. And Pat. The, the Tennessee Titans, since Tannehill took over last year, week seven, they have scored on 83% of their red zone trips with touchdowns. They've scored TDs on 83% of their red zone opportunities. That's easily the highest rate in the entire league. So my question is, and the big key for me is, can this Devin Bushless Pittsburgh defense keep the Titans from those long, sustained drives where you're having Derrick Henry get 8 to 10 carries, you're meshing in a couple play-action looks for Ryan Tannehill, who thrives in that portion of the game and is really completely average or below average in every other aspect of the passing attack. So they have to, first off, quell the effect of Derrick Henry any way they can, keep him under 3.5, 3.7 yards per carry, and keep him out of the red zone. That's the bottom line, because if you let this Titans team get into the red area, they will shred you, and we will uh, we'll figure out what's going to happen here. You don't know what's going to happen. I don't really have a big key on this game, big feel, and neither does Vegas with the Titans 
being a one-point favorite at home right now. The Devin, if I if I may, the Devin Bush injury is definitely going to be a major, major key to this game. Mm-hmm. He's so athletic, so physical. A great matchup uh, if the Steelers versus a running back and a play-action attack like the Titans have. Yeah. It's going to be a huge and- game for Vince William, downhill linebacker, backup for the Steelers. He's going to have to have a huge game in the run and the run support. And then Robert Spillane, I believe his name is the backup. We're going to have to learn a lot about him and how he's going to manage calling plays possibly on the defense uh, and how he's going to manage the play action attack that Tannehill just excels on. It's crazy, man. Tannehill, he's been lights out. Unbelievable. And he's been a clutch time maven for the Titans this season as well. Get the stat per Elias. First quarterback to lead his team to four game-winning drives in their first five games of the year since the Cardinals' Charlie Johnson back in uh, 1966. Can't say I've ever heard of old Chuck, but uh, good. congrats. That's a vaunted club to be a part of right there. Roethlisberger, what are you thinking? What are you feeling? Do you you see the same kind of guy out there? Is Is he one of these players that when he's matched up with a top 10 quarterback matchup like he has this week, I think, in the way Ryan Tannehill's playing, does he have the firepower to go arm for arm, throw for throw this weekend against the Titans? It's a great question, Russ. It's a great question. And the Steelers do not want to get in that situation. They do not want to have Ben throw the ball 40 times in this game or try to win the ball, win the game by throwing 300 yards or something like that. I don't know if he can do it. And I say the key to the game is the defense because really what they want Ben to have to do is just manage the game, right? Don't turn the ball over. Get it out quick like he has been. Yes, manage the pace and then take your shots when they're there. But don't force anything. Don't let the game get away from you at the quarterback position. He's done a fantastic job this year. He's been amazing. 11 touchdowns, only one interception. He's done everything he's needed to do. I, I truly do not know whether he can be that top five, we could throw for 500 yards, throw for four touchdowns, and be the Ben of old like he was in you know, a few years from in the mid-2010s. Uh, but it'll be interesting. I think that the wide receivers do match up decently well against the Titans' defense. I think you're going to see a, a lot of clay pull. I think they'll probably try to stretch the ball down the field a, a few times. Mm-hmm. And but, the Titans uh, are vulnerable to those big shots. Claypool oh, yeah. is, a, is a, a, another one of those fulcrum players he is the he's the big guy for me on offense for the Steelers, where Henry's probably the big guy for the Titans on on their side of the ball. I'd agree. I'd agree. It's going to be very interesting, though. I I don't know how the Steelers are going to attack. I'm assuming it's going to be a heavy dose of the ground game. They're going to try to control the clock as much as they can, probably to a further extent than they have. But the Steelers, when they, when they when they play balanced, their offense is fantastic. When they, when they're Offense starts to lose balance. We saw it in week one, or uh, in the early weeks, James Conner wasn't going, and mm-hmm. the run game wasn't going. And look, I think it was the, the Broncos game, and everything was just a little out of sync. They let the Broncos come back a little bit. It got a little The Giants, scary. too. They didn't quite yeah, put yeah. the Giants away. So uh, we saw it last week, though. When everything is humming, when they're able to run the ball well, and they're able to balance that offense out, it's a beautiful thing to see, and that's all they have to do is stay balanced, stay managed, and just control the pace of the game on offense. All they got to do is score like 20, you know, 20, 25 points and hope that the defense can hold strong because that is the, that's the soul of their team is that defense. Super Bowl implications, clearly, from historical markers in this matchup, and we can't wait to see what happens. Sunday, 1 p.m., 
And you know what, Pat? They finally gave us a little bit of a bone. They finally threw us a beautiful present this weekend. Only f- seven 1 p.m. games and f- oh. four 4 p.m. kickoffs as opposed to the dreaded 9 p.m. or excuse me, nine game 1 p.m. slate and two game 4 p.m. slate. So thank you, NFL. Thank you for, for giving us that this weekend. Speaking of the slate on deck this Sunday, we got to give our sucker bets two and one on the season. Our Pat and I, when we uh, when we point out the 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 big discrepancy from the public and go against them at large. Pat hit on the Colts last weekend. I hit on the Packers being a sucker bet last weekend. We're trying to keep this keep the pace going, stay above the 500, uh, 500 record Mendoza line. I will go first with my sucker bet this week. It's a little scary. Second time I'm going against this man, and uh, first time did not work out as well as I would have liked in the end when he went out to South Beach and took care of business against the Miami Dolphins. I am going with the Seattle Seahawks minus three and a half on the road against the Arizona Cardinals as my biggest sucker bets of the week. I think the Cardinals showed me a lot against the Dallas Cowboys. They are a team that can control a football game. Buda Baker was lights out, had a historic performance individually in that game all over the field, making sacks happen, defending passes, all that stuff from the newly minted, newly paid safety as the uh, the definitive defensive threat for the Arizona Cardinals. I think he puts a big stamp on this game. Kyler Murray finds a way to take care of, or at least keep pace with, a Seattle offense that is sported or backed up by a Seattle defense, giving up 27 points per game and 471 yards per um, game overall, which is a laughably bad margin, even the Cowboys uh, would be uh, would be winking their or raising their eyebrows at that. And get this, Pat. Since K- Kingsbury and Kyler Murray took over this program, this franchise last year, Cardinals are nine two and three against the spread as underdogs of a field goal or more. And I don't think they'll win this game. I wouldn't be shocked if they pull it off, though. I do think they'll keep it close, keep it within a field goal. Give me the Seahawks as my sucker bet this week. Going against. The uh, the runaway favorite for MVP in Russell Wilson, but I think uh, think three three and a half points that hook that little baby half point hook on the road is what's enticing me to go against Seattle and Russell Wilson. What do you got for yours? I love that pick, and I do think it's kind of a are you good game for for the Cardinals. They measuring stick game four and two. Are you a true four and two five and two team, or are you more of a middling middle of the pack four and three? Uh, still have to prove it. Arizona Cardinals team on the rise. So I like that. Yeah. Very similar to, to the Rams situation last year, in my opinion. I mean, the Rams had a huge game to take control of that division to beat the Niners, sort of get a monkey off their back. Let's see if the Cardinals can do it this week. And I like the pick, Russ. I like the pick. Right. My sucker pick, my sucker pick, it's kind of a tough weekend. I did, none of these games really, really jumped out at me, but there's a couple that I was going between. And I don't love this pick. But I think that the Green Bay Packers minus three at the Houston Texans is a little bit of a sucker pick. Okay, Russ. Back-to-back appearances for old Rodgers. Yes, yes. Uh, I was not impressed by the way the Packers played last week. I think they have a lot of answers on who's going to step up on that offense to help Rodgers out. And I love Deshaun Jackson, or Deshaun Watson. Deshaun Watson stays pesky. He's just electric on offense they know that the texans are trying to prove something they got bill o'brien out of the office they got him out of there they're trying to prove something 
I do think that the Texans are going to come out firing. Romeo Cornell is going to get a huge win at home for the boys. And I'm just not, I'm not sold on the Packers anymore, maybe. They were the worst 13-3 and team in the history of the NFL last year, as everyone is saying. Maybe they're a little bit overrated again. Maybe this isn't quite the Packers team we thought it was early on. So that's what I'm going with. I see 60% of the market average on the Packers right now. I think it's, I, I don't know if this is right, but I'm seeing 90% of bets on the Packers. Sucker City. I think the Texans could win this game outright this week, Russ. Interesting. Interesting. Yes. Yeah, so, uh, so what I'm seeing, yeah, bat, Pat, consensus hovering around 80, 83 to 90% for Pats. And then uh, mine hovering over the uh, 65% line with the Seattle Seahawks being publicly bet um, by 69%, LOL, 69% of the uh, 69% of the people on that train. But get this, Pat, another little nugget here, historical nugget to go along with the uh, ATS number on the Cardinals sign for the Seahawks. Pete Carroll as a divisional road favorite in his career with Seattle is... Um, 10, 4, 5, and 1 as a divisional road favorite. So, excuse me, what am I talking about? It's fading them has been 10 to 5 and 1. So he's 5, 10, and 1 as a uh, divisional road favorite. But when you fade them on that, that number, he it, you win 10 and 5 and 1. 67% of the time you win. So fading Pete Carroll as a divisional road favorite is a good way to go historically. And that's going to close out the history of this uh, Thursday edition of Riding a 3x3, cruising into the weekend. So many things to get to. World Series, Big Ten football back, and NFL Week 7. We're going to be watching it all, breaking it all down, and cruising through the entire NFL slate when we reconvene on Tuesday afternoon. For Patrick Fetch, I'm Russ Heltman. Enjoy the weekend, everybody.